This is ASIN, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. To find out more, visit asin.ac.uk. Okay, thanks, Charles. Uh, Sammy, if you want. So I'd just like to introduce uh, Sammy Zubaida, who is actually a colleague of mine at Birkbeck. Uh, and Sammy is Emeritus Professor of Politics uh, and Sociology at Birkbeck, and also a fellow, was recently made a fellow of Birkbeck College. Uh, Sammy was a founder member of the Department of Politics in 1972. Uh, also has quite an interesting background, um, and even though much younger than Eric Hobsbawm, uh, was brought up, or was born in a sort of ancient uh, Middle Eastern, cosmopolitan Middle Eastern center of learning, in this case Baghdad rather than Alexandria, uh, made his way to Britain, made his way to Birkbeck, like Hobsbawm. Um, and uh, Sami is the author of quite a number of books, most recently uh, Beyond Islam, A New Understanding uh, of the Middle East. Uh, in addition to this, Islam, the People and the State, Political Ideas and Movements in the Middle East. Uh, Sammy also has a, a very strong interest in food and politics, and so there's a, a, a good book here, A Taste of Time, Culinary Cultures of the Middle East, and also Law and Power in the Islamic World, which is a 2003 uh, book. Um, Sammy's given talks at many uh, places around the world, and I just have a note here from 2000, just in 2011, amongst his lectures included speaking at Ravenna University in Italy at the International Association of Media and Communication Research Conference in Istanbul, and delivering a keynote lecture at the Arab Thought Forum in Jordan. And with that, uh, Sami, I'll give you a picture. Thank you, Eric. I've now got to live up to, <laughs> to all this. Honored by the comparison to Hobsbawm. Um, well, I'm going to talk about the different moments in the development of nationalism uh, in the uh, Middle East. Uh, and in terms of the different articulations to articulations to different ideologies uh, and outlooks um, in the course of political modernity from the late 19th century to the present, and then end up with some reflections on what's happening at the present time, particularly uh, with the question of relation to religion. Um, so, I'll, I'll go through a number of different sort of types uh, of nationalism in terms of articulation to ideologies. First of all, we should consider the proto-nationalism of the imagined universal religious community. This was the nationalism of the traditional strata of the Ottoman and the Iranian world when faced with Western ascendancy from the 19th century. In terms of this paradigm, the world is divided into antagonistic religious communities in which European powers are characterized as Christian and in cahoots with the local Christian populations. And hence, the various stages, starting with the Napoleonic conquest of Egypt, of European ascendancy in the Middle East have seen um, uh, communal violence and attacks on the Christian communities in these uh, countries. Uh, 
And similarly, the Sunni Shia division uh, within Islam uh, was then also attributed uh, to the geopolitical division <coughs> between the Ottoman world and Iran. So, um, <coughs> it attributed the weakness against the West to the neglect of religion and of the solidarity of the Muslim Ummah. This was the opposite of the modernist reformist attribution of backward, backwardness to corrupt religion. This Ummah nationalism, as it might be called, continued in the background with special appeal in populist ideologies throughout the modern period and was revived particularly with great strength in the post 9-11 era. It became a floating discourse in which various uh, groups and various ideas articulated themselves in looking at the world in terms of the confrontation between religious groups and of course that has its echo in uh, the Western ideas such as that of the clash of civilizations. Then you have, that's one paradigm, the starting of proto-nationalism of the imagined uh, religious community. Then you have the modernist nationalism in terms of progress and rationality. This can be seen with the uh, Ottoman and Iranian intelligentsia uh, and culminating in uh, Kamal Ataturk uh, in Turkey and the establishment of the Turkish Republic and also among the Arab and Iranian intelligentsia. This form of nationalism embraced the European doctrine of progress through science and rational socio-economic organization. It started off with the question of military advance and the importance of science and technology and military organization. Uh, and then went on to social and cultural progress. So in fact the thinkers of the late 19th century, early 20th century, took up the ideas of progress and evolution of August Comte, <coughs> Spencer and Emile Durkheim, which became very influential uh, in that context. This kind of thought confronted religion as the main agent of backwardness. They did not dare to say religion as such, Islam as such was the uh, reason for backwardness, but they said it was the corruption of Islam. And in this uh, paradigm, the relig modern religious reformers uh, in Egypt and elsewhere, such as uh, Fulani and Muhammad Abdul in Egypt at the turn of the uh, 20th century, uh, participated uh, in this ideology, uh, but with ideas of reform uh, religion. In many respects, this kind of paradigm internalized the European gaze on Islam, which saw Islam as being uh, backward, fatalistic, uh, 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 open to sexual corruption, uh, uh, oppression of uh, women, and so on. 
And so, in this paradigm then, all these elements attributed to Islam were seen as being part of corrupt religion. But the important thing is uh, to enlist uh, reform Islam in this process uh, of uh, uh, progress uh, through science, rationality, and socio-economic organization. This modernist nationalism was articulated to a range of modern ideologies. So it was with liberal constitutionalism in Egypt in the early decades of the 20th century, to authoritarian corporatism as it was with uh, the Turkish Republic under Ataturk, to fascism with the great admiration in the 1930s uh, for uh, Mussolini and Hitler, and most importantly to leftist communist ideas. They had, throughout all these articulations, the common objectives was national rebirth, the idea of the word Ba'ath, and the Ba'ath party later on was the idea of national rebirth, national independence from uh, colonial <coughs> and mandate domination, economic development, and military power. Now, in addition to this, they had the modern populist Islamism, that of the Muslim Brotherhood, which started in Egypt in 1928 and persisted throughout until uh, its rise to prominence in more recent times. This was distinct from traditional conservative Islam. It is a social movement with modern organization and mobilization, converging with secular objectives of national revival and anti-imperialism, but with a religious ideology. This has been a constant present on the political fields uh, of the Middle East, but not a dominant present uh, uh, for most of the 20th century. But it emerged into much greater prominence in the closing decades of that century and to the present. Now, common to all these forms of nationalism, you have the quest for national cultural authenticity. This is a shared theme in many nationalist ideologies, religious and secular, a kind of cultural nationalism which comes to prominence especially from the 1960s, explicitly a reaction to Western mass and consumer culture. Prominent examples of this are mainly in Iran with uh, the uh, thinkers such as Jalal, Jalal Ali Ahmed and better known Ali Shariati, whose ideas became quite important in the uh, run-up to the Iranian Revolution. And within this quest of authenticity and opposition to Western consumerism, I'll come back to that presently, are issues of gender, women, and family. These are major themes. Now, now I have outlined these different types uh, of ideological articulations. I want to look at key moments in the history of the 20th century, which brought about transformations in ideas of nationalism. One, of course, was the Cold War, 
and the Soviet involvement in the region. The so-called revolutions of the 1950s and the 1960s in many of the Arab countries, which were mostly, which were entirely in fact, military coup d'etats, which toppled uh, post-colonial uh, ancien regime and installed uh, reformist military dictators. So you have Nasser in Egypt is the prototype for this transformation. Uh, you have the success of the Ba'ath parties in Syria and Iraq, the FLN in Algeria, in a very different way, the rise of Gaddafi in Libya. And these regimes, notably Nasser, uh, entered into this confrontation with the pro-Western monarchies of Saudi Arabia, Iran to the revolution, and Jordan. But their street, the street politics of these countries, of Saudi, Iran, and uh, Jordan, North Africa, their street politics were sympathetic to the nationalist regime, in particular to Nasser, after what was seen as his triumph in the nationalization of the Suez Canal and facing up uh, to the attack uh, by Britain, France, and Israel, became a hero of the Arab people uh, for a while. And so he was, his influence and the influence of Egypt was seen by the West and its allies as subversive. In these uh, regimes, statist socialism and the single party on the Soviet model were adopted by Nasser in Egypt and the Ba'ath in Syria and Iraq. They engaged in land reforms uh, and established welfare services and subsidies. Uh, and in this respect, not only they utilized Soviet models, but also they were supported in international relations by the Soviet Union, which also became the supplier of arms to uh, these regimes. Within these regimes, you have the dominance of secular nationalism, articulated to a socialist and even Marxism rhetoric. Uh, third worldism, non-alignment, and elements. All these had elements of a kind of universalism and liberationism. Uh, at the popular uh, level, the, the admiration for uh, the kind of uh, iconic figures of the time, Mao, Castro, Guevara, these were the heroes. Nationalism with a universalist com component, uh, liberation of nations and development was seen as the paradigm in which they were uh, acting. Uh, in the Cold War context, the, there was pro-Western encouragement of Islamic opposition to these regimes, particularly through Saudi Arabia. And these regimes, the, uh, uh, the Islamic uh, element was utilized uh, in uh, this uh, opposition and in the organization uh, of the uh, Islamic parties of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was a clandestine party in Egypt at the time. Now, the other important moment on the world stage, 
regional stage was 1967 and the uh, Six-Day War and the crime uh, of Israel uh, against the Arab forces, particularly against Egypt. And this marked a retreat of the Nasserist model uh, that the successors to Nasser after his death in 1970 were Anwar Sadat, who then changed the policy away from uh, Soviet alliance and dependence uh, into what's called the Fitah, and opening up of the country and the economy to Western uh, and capitalist uh, forms and influences, uh, realignment internationally to America uh, and the West, and regionally to Saudi Arabia and the oil state. This uh, led to the transformation of this military regime uh, instated in earlier decades and was the beginning of its transformation into the dynastic forms that we saw in recent uh, years in Egypt and elsewhere uh, and uh, the development of crony capitalism. And it's also in this context that Islamism comes into much greater prominence that Sadat, for instance, uh, utilized the Muslim Brotherhood, which he brought back onto uh, the political scene, as a counter to the left and to the Nasserists. The other key moment in this history is 1979. 1979 saw the Iranian Revolution and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Both of these acted as a stimulus to Islamism, but in different ways. Iran, uh, from the 1950s, had nationalist movement aligned primarily with the left, with the Communist Party being a very important and influential in the opposition, uh, or the clandestine, as well as uh, uh, liberal nationalism and social democracy. Islamism was on the march uh, in this uh, mid-20th century. The term of section then, sections of the left turned into the ideologies of authenticity, as I've already mentioned, that people like Ali Shariati, uh, the political party, it was called the Mujahideen of the people, Mujahideen al-Khalq, they maintained their leftist stances, even some kind of Marxism positions, against, but they were against capitalism and consumerism, which they saw more in cultural and social terms. The whole question of women, for instance, uh, Ali Shariati, uh, who was uh, Westernized, he was a French graduate. Um, he was a, an admirer of uh, uh, France Fanon, Jean Paul Sartre, uh, and uh, was associated uh, with Foucault. Foucault, as you know, after the Iranian Revolution, wrote some controversial pieces on uh, defending the Islamic Revolution in Iran and giving it his own interpretations. So, in fact, these people were not Islamists in the classical mold. 
there was much more authenticity. Islamists, they were, uh, they saw capitalism and consumerism as subverting the native virtues and the uh, basic cultural motifs. Uh, on the question of women, uh, for, for instance, Sharia uh, here wrote an essay called Fatima is Fatima, Fatima being the daughter of the prophet as a model for womanhood about women as being, uh, having to be active in the struggle for, uh, for uh, national, <coughs> national liberation, for the establishment of a good social order and so on, but not like the women that you see that the West is imposing uh, on uh, the Middle Eastern cultures, uh, the idea of women as a consumer, uh, as uh, fashion, makeup, as being uh, a sexual object, uh, that is uh, a way of uh, subverting the whole society uh, and the culture. So in fact, while not going along with the conservative uh, idea of women back to the, the home and the kitchen and children, they emphasize the importance of women as activists, but at the same time, they uh, want to look away from this what they saw as the uh, humiliation of uh, consumer culture. Um, now, the clerical-led movement under Khomeini incorporated the left, uh, the, the, including the Communist Party, uh, who saw this as an anti-imperialist struggle. Uh, the same token, anti-imperialism meant anti-liberalism. Uh, the whole question of, secular, of secularism and of the gender issues were sidelined in favor of supporting what was seen as a national anti-imperialist uh, uh, movement. And of course, as soon as the uh, clerical classes uh, triumphed, then they subordinated, they repressed, and indeed widespread uh, torture and killing of the leftist opposition, which was aided by the then the war with Iraq uh, over the course of the uh, 1980s. Uh, this Iranian revolution had a powerful influence in the Arab world, not one influence, but a number of different influences, in particular on the Arab left, uh, which the whole rationale of the left, of the nationalist left, uh, was the idea of the leading the people, the nation to uh, come to the fore and assert itself. And here was an example of a popular revolution. It did not happen in the name of the uh, class struggle that happened in terms of uh, religion and national authenticity. So this was seen as a model and many of the Egyptian uh, leftists, some of the people I knew who uh, started off as Marxists and became Nasserists and when the Iranian revolution came, uh, they became Islamists. Uh, and of course they, they remain the same ideologically throughout. <laughs> <laughs> Soviet invasion and the start of the Islamic Jihad against the Soviet 
situation. Uh, this was uh, reinforced and aided by uh, the Americans through Saudi Arabia and uh, a great many volunteers from different parts of the Muslim world, including many from the Arab world, uh, were enlisted in the fight in uh, Afghanistan and of course after the uh, Soviet uh, withdrawal in 1989, which is the next point I come to, uh, then these uh, became sort of rogue elements uh, that went back to their countries, notably in Algeria and Egypt, uh, and started jihadist movements uh, against uh, the state. Uh, of these countries uh, and in Algeria, resulting in uh, civil war with uh, large-scale massacres. Now, 1989 was the next uh, movement, the next moment, uh, the moment of the collapse of communism and the end of the Soviet model and of Soviet support. This uh, hastened the weakening, if not the collapse, of the left. Uh, nationalism turned to identity politics. Nation, religion, and authenticity became the main factors. In some respect, in the parallels to Eastern Europe, to Yugoslavia, you know, in which uh, the uh, identity uh, politics uh, aided by religion, you know, the Catholic Croats, the Orthodox Serbs, the Bosnians didn't have any other identity apparently, except being Muslims, and so on. Uh, there were different strands uh, in the uh, Islamic ideologies. How are you doing? Um, yeah, you're still going to yeah. In the Islamic uh, uh, politics that became prominent, you know, there were jihadists <coughs> and the violent Islamists, as well as the mainstream politics of the Muslim Brotherhood, and reformism. Uh, jihadism within Egypt and many of the countries, Algeria, Libya, jihadism was defeated by uh, strong uh, government repression uh, in the course of the 1980s and 90s. Uh, so in fact, jihadism became extraterritorial into dodgy states such as Afghanistan, Yemen, and Somalia, uh, where in the mainstream countries, you can call them this, of Egypt and Algeria uh, and Syria and so on, uh, Islamism became much more uh, peaceful mainstream politics and started to speak the language of democracy and pluralism in some cases, certainly in Egypt. So this brings us to the current moment, the current situation, the so-called uh, Arab Spring. Uh, if we look at the general scene in these countries, in the prelude to the uprising, we have there dynastic regimes, heirs to the 1950s revolutions. The 1950s revolutions uh, brought about uh, one-party dictatorships, uh, repression, control, but at the same time a kind of social contract in terms of the uh, delivery of social services, of education, of health, uh, of uh, subsidized food, such as uh, agrarian reforms, and so on. All these uh, were 
gradually withdraw with the uh, deterioration of this regime into dynastic uh, control uh, in Iraq, with Saddam Hussein and, the, and his family and his clans uh, ruling over an oil uh, economy with repression <laughs> uh, as patronage. Uh, in Egypt, you had Sadat and then Mubarak, and a very strong case of crony capitalism, uh, immiseration of large sectors of the population, the withdrawal of services. And whenever they will withdraw the uh, welfare services, the breakdown of the social contract, the Islamists were the beneficiaries because they stepped in with their uh, charities and networks uh, into. Uh, providing the services that the state uh, had withdrawn. Uh, the opposition to these regimes was prominently Islamic. Uh, in Egypt, particularly in the Muslim Brotherhood, in Iraq, the Shiite <coughs> parties, uh, and secular nationalism and leftism of Palestine was unorganized. In fact, what happened, let's say, in Egypt is that um, uh, the, there were a number of legal parties, you know, including leftist parties, but they were not allowed to organize at the popular level. If they tried to organize popular constituencies, say in the labor union, then they would be very severely repressed. They were all here as talking shops and having a newspaper. Whereas the Islamic opposition, could not be so treated because they were part of the mosques and the charities and the uh, various uh, organizations uh, that then could organize politics. So in fact, what you have at present and what you've had really throughout uh, the last few decades is uh, immediate for instance, very strong organization of the Muslim Brotherhood and who are superb at mobilizing people, busing them to whatever event they want. To vote, to demonstrate, or what have you. Uh, now, the breakthrough in uh, Tunisia and Egypt, and of course, when we are talking about, uh, I was interested this morning, there was uh, a workshop on uh, the Arab uprising, and there was nothing but Egypt. There's no, no, hardly anything else mentioned. It was all, of course, it's very important, because, simply because what Whereas the events in Tunisia and Egypt have started this chain reaction, elsewhere it's just been stymied and it ended in deadlock in Syria at the moment, apart from the destruction of the country. Uh, we have not uh, an outcome in Libya, it's a, uh, it's a mess with different uh, militias and uh, fragmentation of, uh, of the country. Uh, in Yemen, you have the, uh, you know, the President went with his uh, cousins and sons, and so to continue with the with the same re regime under American Saudi protection. Uh, in Bahrain, uh, they you know they take sort of it acquired a sectarian form, and uh, then the suppression of dissent was implicitly endorsed by the West and the uh, Saudi aid to the government. Uh, so in all these other places, whereas something has happened. What has happened is that it's timing in one form uh, or another. So really we are talking about Egypt and Tunisia. And Tunisia is the most hopeful uh, because it, uh, it had been um, a society with um, 
much greater uh, association of life, uh, what's called civil society, and so on. Now, these, uh, the kind of um, the first groups that have made, uh, that started these revolutions, were a new generation of educated middle class, mostly impoverished, but with the skills of electronic communication, breaking the mold of the old politics uh, in terms of affiliations and thought. There has been much talk in this conference about these groups. It was the break of the stagnation that had marked these societies. This is the generation that made the revolution in Tunisia and Egypt, and then stalled in Syria, driven out in the violent polarization between the regime and sundry Islamists. They are struggling with sectarian hegemonies in Iraq and Bahrain. Tunisia and Egypt, the success of the overthrowing the regime, then proceeded into elections and saw the electoral ascendancy of Islamism. And I've already mentioned how well organized the Islamists were in terms of mobilizing people. But in spite of uh, this mobilization, in fact, uh, in the first round of the Egyptian presidential election, 56% of the electorate voted against the Islamic candidates. And it's only in the right runoff that between uh, Morsi and uh, Shafir, between the Islamists and the <coughs> deep state old regime, uh, you have, they were almost even, there were a few points, percentage points between them. So with the nationalism then, what are the ideological twists now? In many respects, the kind of classic nationalism of anti-imperialism, anti-Israel, uh, developmentalism, and so on. These are not uh, issues that, that have gone 